Now, I was just wondering why it was that uh, last night at the Grange Hall, that just because I come from Ireland, that they put me in charge of the shooting. You know, why? <laughs> was there something, some significance in that? <laughs> no, no. <clears throat> you know, I, I want to tell you something just to really, really encourage your hearts about, about Ireland because... Um, you know, talk, talking with, with some of the, the Christians here, um, I found that quite a lot have come, come from a Catholic, a Catholic background. And, you know, in, in the past, we, we haven't seen a lot of, uh, we haven't seen a lot of Catholic people genuinely converted or saved and, just the Sunday before we, uh, the Sunday before we came away, <clears throat> we had a young man from uh, from West Belfast, um, and, and West Belfast is uh, it's a segregated area. Uh, it's 100% Catholic. Um, very few, if anybody, has ever taken the gospel into that part of our city. And, uh, and here in, in our church, the Sunday before we came away was this young man from West Belfast who, um, who came to tell us about how he had found the Savior. And it was so touching because he was, uh, he was a professional soccer player and had never heard the gospel but, um, had sustained quite a serious injury. And he knew that he couldn't play soccer for, for quite a little while. And he thought, what am I going to do in this period of uh, recuperation and recovery? And uh, he said to himself, and, you know, this is strange for a full-time sports person. He said, I know what I'm going to do. He said, I'm going to seek after God. And I'm going to find out if there is a God. And if there is a God, I want to get right with God. Because in spite of all my religion and my background, I know that I'm not right with God. And so he gets on the internet and he, he, he tries all these religions and he finds flaws and faults in, in them all. And, and then he comes to a particular site which preached and set forth a simple gospel of, of belief in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. And that young man in Catholic West Belfast found the Savior for himself. And you know the lovely thing about that, folks, this morning is this, that not only has he found the Savior, but there's actually quite a number in that district who have continued to live there and witness there, and they actually have a gospel, they have a weekly gospel meeting in their own home in the middle of this difficult, segregated area of West Belfast. And I said to him, do you have a family? Because I didn't know him previously. I said to him, do you have a family? He said, of a little boy of four. And he said, I want you to pray for my boy of four. Because he said he came home in, in, in Ireland. They, in Ireland, education is, 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 is segregated. There's a state system and a Catholic system. And 90% of Protestant kids go to the state school and 90% of uh, Catholic kids go to the Catholic system. And... Um, in that area where he is, there's no state schools. There's just a Catholic system. So he said, I have to send my boy to the Catholic school. And he said, my boy came in the other day and he said to me, Dad, the teacher was telling us today that when we pray, 
we have to pray to the Virgin Mary. He said, uh, do we believe that? Do, uh, you know, is that right? Uh, so he said, I want you to pray for my boy. He said, because it's such a very, very difficult thing, the area where they're living and the witness that they have. So just to encourage, encourage you folks that it's so delightful to hear the background of some of you folks here. And we are seeing a little bit of that blessing back in, back in dear old Ireland at the same time as well. So uh, we trust that the Lord will continue to, to bless these dear Catholic folks as they seek after the Lord. Now, three verses that I want to read with you this morning, please. The first one is in the Old Testament book of Samuel, Second Samuel and chapter 1. Second Samuel chapter 1. And these are the words of David uh, at verse number 26. Second Samuel chapter 1, verse 26. David said, I am distressed for thee, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant hast thou been unto me. Thy love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. How are the mighty fallen and the weapons of war perished. I want to read a second verse in the book of the Psalms, please, and in chapter, or in Psalm number 119, the longest psalm in all of the Bible. Psalm 119. And we're just going to read one verse, please, maybe two verses, commencing at 129. Psalm 119 and verse 129. <clears throat> Thy testimonies are wonderful, therefore doth my soul keep them. The entrance of thy words giveth light, it giveth understanding unto the simple. Now lastly, please, in the book of Isaiah, these verses are all in the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, <clears throat> and in chapter 6. Correction, uh, chapter 9, Isaiah, and in chapter 9. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 9, and reading at verse number 6. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We know the Lord will bless these lovely readings to each of our hearts this morning. Oh, how marvelous! Oh, how wonderful! And my song shall ever be. Oh, how marvelous! Oh, how wonderful! Is my Saviour's love to me? This portion of the of the the worship uh, of the choir this morning has touched all our hearts and confirmed to me from that hymn that we might speak this morning a little bit about three things in the Bible that are called wonderful. Just three things, as far as I know, in all of the Bible 
that are called wonderful. Wonderful things in the scriptures. Uh, you see, before we came, when we, when we were in Ireland, before we left to come here, Anne said to me, those two Sundays that you're on San Ramon, uh, what are you going to be speaking about? And uh, I said, I, I, don't, I don't know, I don't know. But one thing I do know is this, folks. I didn't want to come here to preach a sermon. You know, just empty words. Things that fly over people's head. I came here with an exercise that I might try to be a help. That I might try to meet a particular need. And that I might try to encourage the beloved Christians in a world where we find the going so difficult and tough at times. And I felt encouraged last week as we chose to speak in John 3.16 and have a gospel aspect to our message that we heard afterwards that there were dear people here that were unconverted. And we trust that the Lord will continue to bless his word to those that hear that are still unconverted. But what I noticed last week and what impressed me and what kind of encouraged me along this line and confirmed to me this morning, as I looked down upon our audience, is the number of young people here. You know, sometimes at home we go to speak and there are very, very few young people in our gatherings. And there are so many attractions in the world. And I I want to say to you this morning, I I believe there's never been a more difficult time for young people to be a Christian than in the present day and present time. These young people have far more temptations to cope with and to deal with and to resist than ever I had in my generation. And it's a wonderful thing to see young folks that are here with an interest and listening to the good word of God. Not only were young people here, you know, but they were listening. <laughs> you know, uh, listen, I've been, to, I've been to meetings where young people have been there and, you know, it's amazing what the speaker can see from the platform. <laughs> Anybody sleeping this morning? People listening. And, you know, it wasn't only the young people that were listening. Our dear sister Sylvie here said to me after the meeting last Sunday, she said to me, uh, you cut your message short. I said, no, Sylvie, I was done. She said, well, we weren't done. (laughs) We wanted to hear more. (laughs) So it's lovely, you know, where there's a a real ear and an interest in the word of God. And what I want to say to the young people, that's for everybody this morning, but particularly for the young people, I want to show you that there are these wonderful things in the Bible that are far more important and that are far more blessed and that are far more sweet than the things that are available out there in the world. And I want to, I want to warm your heart this morning and encourage you that as young people, if you go in for these things, you will never, never, ever be disappointed. There's disappointment in the world. There's disappointment in the pleasures of the world because the Bible says they are only for a season. 
but in the things of God and the things that we're going to speak about, these three wonderful things, there is no, no, never any disappointment. The first wonderful thing is his wonderful name. And his name shall be called Wonderful. You know, names, you'll have to excuse me, folks, at times, because there are so many people here that I, it's difficult for me to get, to get all, to get all your names, you know. Everybody comes to me and said, you know, hello, Hilton, and, and sometimes I'm stuck for knowing just, you know, what, what the, so you'll have to forgive me, there are so many people here, but, you know, there is something about names in the Bible that are so very, very instructive. Our brother Mike this morning uh, read to us about Moses, for instance. And did you know that in the Bible, Moses' father, Anram, never gave him a name? Moses' father never, ever gave him a name. And it was left to Pharaoh's daughter to give him his name. Because she said, I will call his name Moses because I have drawn him out of the water. So Moses had an Egyptian name. And why Amram never gave him a name? Well, I will never understand. And then you remember Joseph's name. The first Joseph in the Bible. And you remember that Pharaoh gave him a name. His name was changed as well. He called him Zaphnath Penea, the Savior of the world. What a lovely name and what a lovely title, a change name. And I was thinking this morning of David's name. David's name. You know what David means? David means beloved. Beloved. Any Davids here this morning? Your mother must have thought, so precious of you when she looked into your face for the first time and called you beloved, David. And you know, there's only one David in all of the Bible. There are many Josephs. There are many Marys. In fact, in fact, the seven Marys of the New Testament, the seven Marys of the New Testament are a lovely study. Whenever someone speaks to you about the seven Marys of the New Testament, you ladies are going to get your chin up and your heads up because it's a lovely, lovely study. The seven Marys of the New Testament. But there's only one David. And David was called Beloved. We love that name so much that we called our boy David. Our middle boy is called David. And there are so many names that are instructive and helpful in all of the Bible. But when you come to the Lord Jesus... Did you know that the Lord Jesus, I have never counted them all, but there are 365, one for every day of the year. There are 365 names and titles of our blessed Lord Jesus Christ. 365 in all of our Bible. Most of them are titles. Like the Good Shepherd and the Bread of Life. And the, the light of the world, and the Savior, and, and, and the Redeemer, and all these titles that you're familiar with. 
But out of those 365, there are just, there are just eight names that are His. The Savior has eight names. And you have five of them here in this book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 9. You have five. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. His name is Wonderful. You know, I, I used to be a wee bit, I used to be a wee bit skeptical about the meanings of names in the Bible. You know, I heard preachers saying, this name means this, and this name means... And I used to be a wee bit skeptical about that and wonder if that could be all true. But then one day I read in the Bible, in the Old Testament, about a lady called Abigail. And Abigail, he knows what's coming next. (laughs) Abigail one day was speaking to David about her husband who was called Nabal. And she said, you know what she said about Nabal? She said... She said, as his name is, so is he. What does Nabal mean? It means a fool. As his name is, so is he. I hope there's no Nabals here this morning. (laughs) (laughs) So I found from the Bible that names do reveal character. And how wonderful it is my Christian friends, this morning too, think about his precious name. His name shall be called Wonderful. What a lovely name for our blessed Lord. Sometimes we sing it at home. Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he wonderful? Isn't Jesus my Lord wonderful? Eyes of seen and ears of heard. Tis recorded in God's Word. Isn't Jesus, my Lord, wonderful? What a lovely name for the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. His name shall be called Wonderful. You know, I couldn't help this morning. I was talking in the break time there to, 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 to Alan, and he was telling me about his background. I couldn't help but bring to mind one of our preachers at home. He moved into a new house. And one of his first tasks when he was moving into this new house was he decided that he would have to erect a fence and he would have to paint the fence and he had the paint bought and he had everything set and he was in the garden ready to paint this fence. And the neighbor, the lady next door came out and she said to him, excuse me, What color are you going to paint that fence? And he said, I'm going to paint it white. I've got the paint and all. I've got a white paint. And she said, but my fence is brown. What would it look like if your fence was white and my fence was brown? And he said, you know, I could have told that dear lady, I've got the paint. It's my fence and it's my paint. And I'll paint the, I'll paint my fence whatever color I want to paint it. But he said, I said to her, in the interest of the gospel and the interest of my testimony, I said to her, that's okay, I'll get get brown paint, we'll paint it brown. And he said, at Christmas time, he knocked on her door and we took her in a little gift. 
And he said, then I heard she wasn't well and we knocked on the door again and we were invited in. And he said, I took her in a little gift in her sickness and in her illness. He said, I never preached to her. He said, I just told her about the wonderful person of the Lord Jesus that we had found in our lives that had made a wonderful change in our life and in our heart. And he said, one day my phone rang. It was my neighbor's husband. He said to me, my wife has passed away. We're Catholic people. But my life heard, my wife heard about a wonderful Savior that you had found. And on her sick bed, she trusted that Savior for herself. And we don't want the priest to bury my wife. She didn't want the priest to bury her. She requested that you might take the funeral service. And I would like that you would come and take the funeral service and tell the others of the wonderful Savior that my wife has found. Isn't that a wonderful story, my friends, today? The wonder of the gospel and the wonder of the Savior. His wonderful name. His name shall be called Wonderful. You know, when you come to the book of Matthew in the New Testament, his name shall be called Emmanuel. That's the sixth name. Five names in Isaiah chapter 9. In, 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 in Matthew chapter 1, you have the sixth name. His name shall be called Wonderful, which means God with us. God with us. Emmanuel. To think that the one who ruled the earth and skies, the one who had no beginning and shall never have an end, the one who is above all and greater than all and better than all, his name should be called Emmanuel, God with us. The wonder of it, my friends, this morning, the deity should be combined with humanity in one blessed person of our Lord Jesus Christ, becoming down here what he had never been before, yet never ceasing to be what he had ever been. Emmanuel, God with us. His sixth name is Emmanuel. His seventh name, thou shalt call his name Jesus. Jesus Sweetest note of seraph song. Sweetest name on mortal tongue. Sweetest carol ever sung. Is Jesus. Blessed Jesus. You know what grieves me in this old world of ours today, young folks? In our schools, our colleges, in our workplace. Is that people of so little value of that precious name. There are many things that grieve me in life, but I tell you, there's nothing grieves me more than to hear that name being blasphemed and ill-spoken off and then men apologizing. Oh, I'm sorry about that. But they never apologize to God. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. It all began in the manger. 
born in a manger to sorrow and shame. Oh, as wonderful, blessed be his name, coming for me, for me. We're thankful today for that precious name of Jesus. That's the uh, seventh name that we find in our New Testament Bible. No voice can sing, no heart can frame, nor can the memory find a sweeter sound than thy blessed name, Saviour of mankind. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. But the eighth name, ah, this is a difficult one. Philippians 2. Philippians 2, God hath highly exalted him and given him a name. Lest I miss that point, it's not only that God has exalted him, but God hath highly exalted him. He that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And God hath highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. What is that name? What is that eighth name of the Lord Jesus? Ah, you say the next verse makes it very easy because the next verse says that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But I don't think it's that easy. You see, I think that next verse is simply saying that God is giving him a name, a name to the one that we now know as Jesus. But God is going to give him a supreme name. God is going to give him a unique name. God is going to give him a name that is far above all. What is that name? You know what encourages me about the Bible that I have never said anything in this hall, in this, in this church that, that these brethren have ever said. Everything I have said. Do you remember last week I said about the, how that God loved the world and it wasn't the world of the elect that, you know, this man said to me afterwards, we believe that. We believe that it was God loved the whole wide world. We don't believe it was the world. Everything I have said these men have agreed with. I hope they're going to agree with me on this. I think that name, you know what I think that name's going to be? I just think it's going to be the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a name. The name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He never was Jesus in heaven. He was Jesus down here. And that name, I think, that supreme name of of Philippians chapter 2, I think that name is going to be the blessed name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you not glad that you've bowed before that name in time? Everyone's going to bow before that name in heaven in a day to come. But we have bowed in time and acknowledged him as our very own Savior. And we want to say this morning that his name, his name is as ointment poured forth. His name is most sweet. His name is wonderful. Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Jesus, Emmanuel, Lord. Jesus Christ. A wonderful name. What's the second thing? And this is what I want to get to for for the sake of you young people today, uh, especially. What is this wonderful, this second wonderful thing? uh, uh, Psalm 119 says, Thy testimonies 
are wonderful. Therefore doth my soul keep them. I want to, I want to excite you this morning in the loveliness of the scriptures. That, that thy testimonies are wonderful. The wonderful book that you and I have in our hand this morning. So unique. 66 books. 66 books written over a sphere of 1,600 years by 40 different men and not a single contradiction in the whole of this wonderful book. What a wonderful book. Is it any wonder that the psalmist said, Thy testimonies are, are wonderful, therefore doth my soul keep them. What a wonderful book this is that we have. But our challenge this morning is this, as young people, are we reading the book? Are we reading the Bible? You see, I'm on Facebook. <laughs> That might surprise you, but I, I, I don't know how to work that thing. But there's a girl, uh, <laughs> there's a girl at work said to me, there's a girl at work said to me, you, you, you should be on Facebook, you know, this will help your business, and you know, this will. So she put me on Facebook, and I get all these requests. I, I don't know how to accept a friend, you know, but I get all these requests for friends. I, I, that's that's all you see. But what worries me? What worries me? And this is a serious, but what worries me is this: that young people are spending more time on Facebook than they are on reading the Bible. Now, there's nothing wrong with Facebook. Don't, 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 don't think this Irishman says, no, no, you, you know, we'll have to... There's nothing wrong with Facebook. But it's the time that people are taking and it's consuming them. They, they started in the morning and they continue through the day and then they say, good night, I'm off to bed. And it consumes their whole life. And maybe in that day they haven't taken one minute to read one single verse in the whole of this wonderful book. So I just want to say to the young people this morning very kindly, this is a wonderful book. But we need to read it. And we need to imbibe it. And we need to obey it if we're going to, if we're going to grow in our most holy faith. One of the most touching stories I ever heard about this book was a dear man um, he was blind and he used Braille to read the Bible. You know, you and I can see it. What a wonderful thing that is, that you and I can see the Bible. And not only that we can see it, we have it in our own language. This dear man was blind. He couldn't see it. But he used Braille to read the Bible. You know, Braille's a wonderful thing. Braille was invented by a French man called Louis Braille. And during his lifetime, it was discarded. During his lifetime... Uh, it never was adopted and during his lifetime he was set aside as having created something that really was of no value. And that dear man died penniless and rejected. And it was only after he died 
that people realize the value of Braille to be able to read whenever a person is totally blind. And this dear man in this church read the Bible by Braille. But one day, he put his hand on a hot stove and the tendons and tenderness of those fingertips were all burned, scarred. And he lost, he lost that ability to read the Bible in Braille. But you know what he taught himself to do? And my friend was at a meeting where this happened. They were at the breaking of bread as we were this morning. And this dear blind man got up to read the Bible whose hands had been scarred and burned and the tissues destroyed on the tip of his fingers that he could no longer read in Braille. Do you know what he did? He read his Braille, he read his Braille Bible by the feeling of his tongue. He had taught himself to read the Braille Bible by the feeling of his tongue. My friend said, as I sat in that meeting, and saw that man reading the Holy Scriptures from the tip of his tongue in the Braille Bible. He said, my heart was touched. To think that the times I never read it, the times that I, I disregard it, the time that I waste, and here's a man has taught himself to read the Bible in the Braille with his very tongue. Oh, that we might get back to the Bible. And oh, that we might be men and women of the Bible. And oh, that these things might have their imprint and mark upon our lives from day to day. You see, Bible is important for those that are saved. That you may grow, that you may grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You need to read the Bible to grow. But if there's anyone here this morning who's not yet converted, the Bible is important for you. Because the Bible is the pointer. The Bible is the pointer, the way of salvation. Now let me explain that to you. The Bible itself cannot save you. You see? You don't get saved because of a verse, even through John 3.16. You don't get saved because of a verse. You get saved because of Him. But the Bible is the pointer to Him. And if you want to know peace, and no sins forgiven, and no home in heaven, you find the way in the Bible. And whenever we come up these roads here, you want to see our wee country roads in Ireland about 12 feet wide. And we come up to these roads and they're so wide, we want to go on the wrong side, and everybody's driving on the wrong side of the road anyway. <laughs> How do we ever find San Ramon? There's pointers, by the way, 580, 880, 680, San Ramon. That's what the Bible is. The Bible is the pointer to salvation. So, if there's anyone here this morning interested in these things, desiring to get right with God, longing to know sins forgiven, read the Bible for yourselves. Let me tell you something to make you think this morning. The Bible does not contain the Word of God. 
steady now. <laughs> Don't be too hard on me. The Bible does not contain the Word of God. The Bible is the Word of God. From the first book of Genesis to Revelation 22, it's all inspired and God-breathed. It's all the Word of God. We don't understand it all. We can't, we can't appreciate it all. Our minds are so small. But we believe it all to be the Word of God. And you know when you go out for a meal sometimes and you get a big steak and there's a big rib in the steak and a bit of gristle in the steak and some fat in the steak. You don't try to eat the bone and you don't try to eat the gristle and you don't try to eat all the fat. You put that to the side and you get this lovely tender meat and you enjoy it because you know you can assimilate that and you can enjoy it and you leave the rest aside. That's the way I read the Bible. I go to the Revelation and boy, I say, I don't understand that. I don't understand it all. I, I, I cannot understand it. But there are certain little bits that are meaty and juicy and sweet and warm and tender and pleasant and precious. And I say, that's for me. And I enjoy the good word of God. Can I say to you young people this morning, this book This book will keep you from sin. But sin will keep you from this book. And I want you to think this morning, and I'm preaching down to you about something. I want to tell you this. That has been my experience. We're not super holy. We're not up here and you're away down there. We're all on the same level. We're all failures. But we find tremendous encouragement in this blessed book. Oh, that, you know, you young people, I yearn that you might go in for these things. You know, to hear these young men this morning reading the scriptures, Alan and uh, Adam it was, and, and Mike, and just to hear young men reading the scriptures and giving thanks to God for his beloved son. It touched my very heart. And you know, you can't, you cannot, you cannot not read the Bible through the week and then have something to give on a Sunday morning. You cannot do it. And if you're reading at home, you'll want to come on Sunday morning and have something to give the Lord. I'm nearly done, Sylvia. (laughs) Maybe you're nearly done as well, but I just want to tell you about Mary Jones. Mary Jones and her Bible. You know, Mary Jones was a Welsh girl. <clears throat> she lived about the 1800s and her native language was Welsh. Her nearest Bible was two miles away from where she lived. But as a young girl of about eight, she found the Savior for herself. And developed a love for the scriptures and a love for the Bible. But she decided that she would love to have a Bible, just that she might have her own Bible in Welsh, that she could read and understand for herself. 
And she heard that in the town of Bala, which was about 20 odd miles away, there was a man called Mr. Charles that sold Bibles. And so for six, six long years, she was a weaver's daughter. She was poor. The family were poor. But for six long years, as a teenage girl, she, she saved up every little pence she could until she had enough money to go and buy a Bible. And she set off one day to go those 20 miles to the town of Bala in Wales. You know what she took with her? She took with her the only pair of shoes that she had. And you know, it's a lovely story. You know what she did when she got out of the town? She took her shoes off. Because she didn't want to wear away the soles. They were so poor. She didn't want to wear away the soles. And for 20 miles... Mary Jones walked on her bare feet to the town of Bala, to the little shop where Mr. Charles had a shop to get her Welsh Bible. Boy, are we privileged. Boy, are we privileged. And she gets to Mr. Jones's shop and Mr. Jones says, Mary, I had a consignment of Bibles But they're all gone. They're all sold. It's recorded in that narrative that that little teenage girl, it says she wept bitterly. She wept bitterly that after all those years and all those savings that the Bibles were all gone. Mr. Charles was so touched. He had reserved a Bible for someone that had already paid for it. And when he saw her distress and saw her tears, he said, Mary, you can have this Bible. And this other gentleman who has paid for it, he can wait. And after all those years, Mary Jones had her first copy of the Bible in the Welsh language. And 20 miles in bare feet, she walked home. And Mr. Charles was so impressed with the hunger and thirst of that young teenage girl for a Bible, that he called together his business colleagues. And he said, this young girl has such a thirst for the Scriptures and we have none to give. Can we not establish something that every person in Wales will have a Bible of their own and a language that they can understand and read? And one of the men said, Why restrict it to the people of Wales? Why not give a Bible to every person that wants it in the whole wide world? And in the town of Bala, in the country of Wales, in the United Kingdom, was formed the British and Foreign Bible Society because of a teenage girl that loved her Bible. And from that day forth, millions of Bibles have been distributed all across the world by the British and Foreign Bible Society. Dear Christian friends, we have a Bible that God has given us. It's a light onto our feet. It's a lamp onto our path. Are we neglecting it? Are we setting it aside? The values of the world 
have changed. I want to tell you, young people, the values of the Bible have never changed. The values of the Bible are still the same. And Mary Jones, that teenage girl, responsible for the setting up of that British and foreign Bible society, she died at 82 years of age. You know what they wrote on her tombstone? On her headstone? Here's what they wrote. At the bottom of Mary, Sto- Mary Jones's headstone, as a lady of 82, the grass withereth, and the flower thereof fadeth away. But the word of the Lord abideth forever. Forever. It's one of the books that's going to be in heaven. Many books will be there, and this is one. And I'm thankful that I have it in my language. I had I have the Holy Spirit to understand it for me, to help me to understand it. And through it I found the Savior. And through it so many of you, I believe, have found the Savior too. If you're not converted this morning, I appeal to you. I yearn with you that you might read that Bible for yourselves, that you might find the Savior of sinners too. May God bless His own good word.